the Cardinals have an off day today, and that means it's time for another Cardinals off day podcast. I'm Ben Godard. Uh, with me, as always, is my good friend Ben Humphrey. Ben, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing really well. Uh, it feels like, you know, now that we've hit the summer solstice and it is officially summer um, and the weather is warming up, it seems like the fly balls are carrying a little bit more too. And it really feels like we're in the heart of baseball season. And that's a good feeling to have. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, um, without further ado, let's uh, jump into it. Uh, ben, I'm curious, uh, since we last uh, saw folks, uh, we've had a few series. The Cubs split with the Brewers. They dropped one to uh, the Cubs. Uh, we, as we record this, don't know what's going to happen for, uh, for sure in this Marlins series yet. Uh, ben, what have you learned? Uh, that Jeff Albert maybe knows what he's doing. <laughs> um, you know, he's been a favorite punching va- bag of the the best fans in baseball, in particular on the internet over the last few years. And something that we've talked about on the show in the past, uh, and I'll bring up again here, is that Albert was brought in not only to work with the big leaguers, but also to change and revamp the way the organization teaches hitting. Um, And if you look at the early success that the club has had with the players they have promoted this season, and even uh, over the last couple years, some of the younger players, Dylan Carlson has picked things back up again this year. Uh, Edmonds' stat line continues to go down like you would expect it to, but he still had a decent transition um, given his true talent level. Um, but then when you look at Yepes and Donovan um, this year, and now, you know, we're getting another test uh, with Herrera coming up uh, to take innings away from Yachty. But uh, it seems like uh, with this, the most recent wave of young players and the wave before that, that they're, they seem to be acclimating themselves pretty well to the major leagues and behind them, they have another wave, you know, headed by Jordan Walker with Mason Wynn included it there. And, uh, uh, Burleson is probably included in that wave as well. And they all look pretty formidable as hitters, uh, in their own way. And so I think right now you're looking at an organization that seems to have a hitting approach, that is allowing players to experience success no, not only in the minors, but also when they get to the majors. And that's pretty exciting because this team has not done a very good job of uh, breaking players into the major leagues as hitters. So uh, I am cautiously optimistic uh, that the Jeff Albert experiment uh, has turned the corner and uh, we're entering a new era where we might be able to call it a success. Yeah, well, I uh, I think I agree with most of your observations, but I would quibble with uh, uh, Juan Yepes on that list because I know Danny Mac tells me at least five times a game that it's actually Albert Pujols' mentorship um, that is uh, leading to Yepes' success. So uh, I guess I to me, I think we've learned that Jeff Albert's approach is very effective, uh, but also Albert Pujols' magic, but he only bestows that magic on one hitter at a time. So, like, if if uh, Lars Newbar were to walk up and ask for a tip, he'd you know he'd tell him to turn the other way. That's that's what I, I so that's my only edit to what you had to say there. Yes, that uh, narrative 
uh, is being pushed relentlessly uh, on state television uh, for the Cardinals. <laughs> and uh, it, it really kind of makes me wonder, um, you know, how was Juan Yepes able to hit at all in the minor leagues without Albert Pujols there to be his mentor? Well, and I, you know, I feel like we always get this, like when there's like the veteran player, like the, you know, the magical insights from the veteran player. And, it, you know, I'm not, of course, I'm not going to discount that there are, you know, valuable things that the veteran has to share with a young player at all. But then I think about the fact that uh, how many of these like all time legendary players become hitting coaches? Uh, like very few. <laughs> and in fact, the guys who are really great, often it's such an innate thing to them that they, they have a hard time teaching it to other people. So, um, but yet, you know, and, and I, you know, Danny Mack, of course, we listen to, so we're, we're, we're mentioning him, but all announcers everywhere, they just, they love that narrative about, um, you know, oh my gosh, can you even imagine what the young guys are, are soaking up from all those veterans there? And uh, it gets a little tiresome gets a little tiresome but uh yeah <laughs> and, and your your point uh reminds me when the cardinals traded for mark DeRosa back in 09 and they asked him what it was like playing with pujols and what have you know you learned from him and DeRosa was like uh not much because the game he's playing is something that i don't know how to play or something along those lines because pujols was so good that he just did things his own way and it wasn't really translatable uh to another player and it makes me wonder if maybe with his skills uh, degrading with age, that uh, maybe he does have some tricks he could teach to a young player. So uh, as far as what I've learned, uh, Ben, uh, as you know, uh, since we last recorded, I was able to go to my first in-person Cardinals game of the year. We were up in Milwaukee. I was at the last game of that uh, Brewers series. And uh, what I learned, or at least got to experience in, in person, is uh, how magical it is to see Albert Pujols in a Cardinals uniform again. Uh, we we got tickets uh, kind of not, uh, just maybe a, a few rows behind the Cardinals dugout there. And uh, about maybe the fifth or sixth inning, uh, Pujols kind of appeared on the railing there. And so, you know, that was a little moment of like, oh my gosh, there he is. Like, it's him. He's in the jersey and everything. And then, of course, as the late innings came on, I just, I kind of started to realize, okay, Hater's going to come in in the ninth. Hater's a tough lefty. And then as it's set up, uh, Newt Barr and Herrera were going to be due up that inning. So I was like, he's 100% going to come in and pinch hit in this inning. And of course he did. So then you, you, know, you see him pop out with his bat and just the, the kind of buzz that goes through the crowd, you know, as people realize like what's going to happen. And then when he comes to the plate and everything, uh, it was it was just absolutely a blast. Um Pujols came up and and uh, drove one fairly good to the gap and right, but it was caught and ended the game. So <laughs> you know, um, but it re it, it reinforced for me that I really don't care what kind of numbers Albert Pujols puts up this year. It's just so joyful to be able to see him, and I was excited that I had that chance to see him. And I'm you know going to a handful more games this season, I'm expecting to anyway, and uh, would would love to see him a, a few more times. Yes, Pujols and Yachty uh, enjoy it while it lasts because uh, they won't be around too much longer. And with Yachty, uh, we don't know how many more games uh, he may even play this year uh, with the way things have gone. 
Yeah, real mystery situation right there. And uh, I would suggest we talk about it, except we don't know anything either. <laughs> so <laughs> We know he's resting in, at home in Puerto Rico, and that's about it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, Ben, before we get into our main topics today, as well as a, a number of great questions from readers, uh, we do have uh, an, an advertiser. So let me just read this right here. Uh, this episode of Cardinals Off Day is brought to you by Big White Pickup Trucks. Look, if you're going to drive a pickup, you want a big pickup. You've heard of quad cabs. We have septo cabs all the way up to octo cabs. That's eight cabs. You can host a child's birthday party inside these trucks. These trucks are big. There is not a parking spot in a city in America that is wide enough to contain one of these pickup trucks. And they are available in one color only, white. We've got a special offer for listeners. When you purchase a big white pickup truck and mention Cardinals Off Day, you'll get a free car wash every day for a year. Drive around your city in a big white pickup truck so clean you could eat lunch off it. Um, and Ben, I don't know about you, but I see these big white pickup trucks uh, all over town. It's clear to me that they're, they're a pretty popular item. Yes, very popular. They're also popular for uh, driving around the Bush Stadium warning track. Yes, yes, we have seen them. Uh, they, they do sometimes make an appearance for that with uh, with the ball players as well. So, um, so yeah. Anyway, thank you to uh, to Big White Pickup Trucks. Uh, we also want to remind folks um, if you still need to get a Gormania shirt, um, those are available. Uh, you can find the link uh, on our, our Twitter page, um, but it's just a, a the Bitly slash Gormania. Um, get yourself a Gormania T-shirt. All those profits go to the nonprofit more than baseball. Ben, I was watching uh, the game earlier tonight as we record this with my youngest son, and uh, Brendan Donovan was coming up, and he suggested that it was time for Donovania. So I don't know if that's quite as catchy, but... Uh, <laughs> um. Well, he's got a point. Uh, you know, Brendan Donovan's having a great year. And uh, there, well, we could also have Edmania, Edmund, Edmania. I, yeah. I don't know if that quite works. Right. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of potential uh, on the roster this year for that uh, strand of T-shirt. Absolutely. And and if there's any potential for it, we we promise to uh, to find it and turn it turn it into a T-shirt. Uh, so Ben, for our first main topic today, uh, and I think this is probably what all Cardinal fans are thinking about. Obviously, the the biggest development. Um, in uh, the last week or so, uh, Jack Flaherty uh, coming out of his last start uh, with uh, shoulder pain or shoulder stiffness or dead arm. Or uh, as, as you and I record this, I don't think we've heard any kind of a serious medical diagnosis, but we have had uh, Flaherty posting some kind of vague religious things and Moseliak uh, basically throwing him under the bus, talking about how they had one plan for the uh, rehab and that's not what Flaherty wanted to do. So uh, it seems safe to say that he's not going to be back soon. Um, so where do we go from here, Ben? Uh, that's a great question. Last time we recorded, we were cautiously optimistic. Uh, because it was before he came up to the majors. That's and it was by the right way. After... That, that's that's why cautiously is the only form of optimistic that I ever am. So this is a good yes. example of that. Uh, and uh, maybe even extremely cautiously optimistic when it comes to pitchers with shoulder injuries. Um, and Matt's had just gone. Uh, 
gotten shut down after an unsuccessful throwing session. And we said at that point in time, you probably have to feel better about Flaherty than Matt's uh, because of where Flaherty was on the rehabilitation schedule versus Matt's. Mm -hmm. And now uh, their roles have reversed. Um, and so I, I think we are at the point where you probably cannot count on Jack Flaherty in this season any more than you could at this time last year yeah. uh, for last season. And I think, you know, with the minor leagues uh, schedule ending, number one, I would be shocked if he's back before the trade deadline. Yes, agreed. Um, or, uh, or even uh, throwing more than, you know, abbreviated starts in the minors. So I don't think they're going to have a clear picture before the trade deadline of what Jack Flaherty can give the team this year, much like what was the case last year. And I would not be surprised if he has a difficult time ramping up to a starter's workload this year, just like he did last year because of when the minor league season ends. Mm -hmm. And so the question then becomes, how much can you count on mats? And is there really, what move do you make to hedge your bets against both of those pitchers who you are counting on coming into this season? Uh, when the trade deadline gets here. And I, I think that's really where we are is watching Matt's rehab assignment, which uh, his start went pretty well tonight. He threw a couple innings, uh, did well, and we'll see what the reports are with how he felt, uh, how he feels tomorrow, or excuse me, in the morning after and the day after, uh, if the team gives us anything. Yeah, and I think we can be certain that they're not going to uh, go the quick route with Mats on these on these rehab starts based on what they said about how they felt the the Flaherty process went. Um, no, and Ben, I I agree with everything that you said. I think the even the absolute best case scenario, which would be basically uh, saying, "Hey, looks like this was just some dead arm feeling a little bit better." E you know, even if we were to hear that in the next few days. I don't think he's back pitching until after the trade deadline um, because they're going to reset that whole, you know, throw off flat ground, you know, rest a certain number of days, throw these many bullpens, do these many rehab starts. They're, they're really going to go through that process again. So, yeah, I very I would expect very little from Flaherty this year. And, and frankly, I'd probably if I had to bet, I'd bet on nothing from Flaherty um, this year, I think is probably the most likely uh, outcome. Um, and yeah, I, you know, back when uh, we kind of first talked about these injuries and, and the idea of, you know, could there be a trade? I know you and I both said, well, if Flaherty can't go and Matt's can't go, then maybe they'd look to a trade. So I think what they're going to do over the, the, uh, last bit of time we have the next month basically until the trade deadline is they're going to try to determine is that the case <laughs> and um you know personally if mats can come back you know if mats goes through you know the series of rehab starts gradually builds up and trans you know transitions into the majors and does look like he's doing okay i i don't think they trade for a starter just because i don't think that's how the cardinals tend to operate um that said if if there's hitches along the way if if that doesn't go as planned i, I think they legitimately might 
And it's also somewhat complicated when three of the tanking teams in Major League Baseball are within your division. You know, like, yeah, what what does a discussion with the Cubs, the Reds or the Pirates look like? Does that impact things? And uh, if so, how? And but what you're doing is you're kind of taking potential trade partners and complicating it a little bit by that potential dynamic. Now, whether or not those teams or the Cardinals uh, will let it bother them, but it kind of shrinks your pool if you're looking for starters to help uh, fill the rotation because of injuries uh, as we approach the trade deadline. Yeah. Well, and you and I have some trade proposals that we're going to take a look at. And um, and mine, actually, one of the things I, about the team that I was looking at, and I think this will be a question as well, we have that extra wildcard team this year. And I think it's a little to be seen, you know, how do teams value that? Because when you look at that third wildcard slot, um, there's even fewer teams that are out of the race for that. Now, some of those teams that might only be a few games back from that are pretty bad teams. They're pretty squarely sub 500 teams. But uh, since this is the first year of it, I don't know. I mean, do those teams still, you know, potentially trade and rebuild or do some of them say, hey, we think we have, uh, you know, we think we have a shot at this and press press on. That'll be something to see. Um, so, Ben, before I, I think ahead. that's an excellent point. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think that's an excellent point. We don't know how the expanded playoffs will impact the way that teams behave at the trade deadline. And so the fact that those tanking teams are within the Cardinals division makes it even weirder. And so it'll be really interesting, you know, to see if that makes Jim Bowden's posts at the athletic even more inaccurate <laughs> well and and i think we've seen this even just with the extent of extended playoffs that we've had for the last few years i mean there's virtually no trades that happen until about july 29th uh you know you could you could count on one hand most seasons the the trades of any meaning at all that happened prior to that and i know you know cardinals fans in particular like to rail on mo for you know not being more active and you often hear him in interviews say like well the market isn't really coming together and 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 i i understand the frustration at that but i i, I don't think he's wrong when i you know when i look at the landscape it seems like teams do really wait until the 11th hour and i think the expanded playoffs has to be a part of that because uh you know if if you make a decision to you know trade away guys on july 1st you know, and then you have a couple good weeks, you know, there's teams that maybe that would have changed their calculus. No, I, I totally agree. And I think, um, I think we will see that the expanded wild card really kills, you know, those early deals such that they existed before. And I think yeah. the wild card has just gradually ended that practice uh, over the years as it has expanded. And I think you're 100% correct in that observation that we're going to basically have everyone push back to the last minute. Mm -hmm. And we'll probably get a few surprise trades uh, after the deadline that just hadn't, they didn't have time to report them right. before they were finalized, uh, which seems to become more and more common as well. So it, it'll be, uh, I think, a very action-packed afternoon 
uh, before the trade deadline this year. Yeah, I agree. Jerry Depoto will make 51 moves. We know that. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll, we'll see what uh, the Cardinals do. But since we know people are talking about it, and, and I think you and I, even though we, we t as, as watchers of the Cardinals, tend to expect them to be very conservative, um, again, with, with Flaherty looking like he's out, with Matt's uh, only rehabbing at this point, I think you and I both think there's, there's definitely a potential that the Cardinals do make a move. Um, and uh, generally, we're not fans of coming up with trade proposals because it's just we have no idea who's available. We have no idea any of these internal things about how teams value their players. So it's kind of a fool's errand to do it, but uh, it's still kind of fun. And so, uh, Ben, you and I each came up with. Uh, a, a trade proposal, I think probably, and I'll speak for myself, more of an example of the type of thing I think they might do than a specific thing that I expect. So let's talk through those. Do you, do you want to do yours or you want me to do mine? Uh, I can go. Uh, this is something, the more that I thought about it, I started out in the mindset that, that you have just described, uh, Mr. Godar, where you know, this type of trade that John Mosellock and Michael Gersh will execute. Um, and then, you know, when I started looking around at who I thought might be available, uh, I, I zeroed in on Erasmo Ramirez from the Washington Nationals. Uh, he's a reliever, righty reliever. He has a 16.2% uh, strikeout rate, or, so a strikeout rate around 16%, which is well below average, and a walk rate around 5.5%, which is also very low. And that's why I think that the Cardinals uh, might target him. Uh, his ERA is roughly league average, and he doesn't walk anyone. And I think he's the type of guy that would play up in front of the Cardinals' defense, uh, both infield and outfield. And as I was sort of going through the points that I wanted to hit talking about this trade on the podcast tonight, I actually became convinced that this is the trade that the Cardinals will make because it is so underwhelming. His profile is so underwhelming and he's perfectly fine. He's perfectly serviceable, uh, but he's just not in any way a sexy or an, an enticing pitcher that you would be excited about the St. Louis Cardinals acquiring at the trade deadline. And that's why I think that Ramirez is the pitcher that the Cardinals will acquire to help bolster the bullpen at the trade deadline. Oh, I like it. I like your confidence there. You, you, you took it further than me. I, I hedged with this is an example of the type of thing, but you're going all out that this, this is the guy. So um, I appreciate you. I appreciate you going on the record like that, Ben. Um, so for my for my trade, and, and first off, I, I agree with you. I think regardless of what happens with Mats, I think they will probably trade for a reliever just because they always trade for a reliever. It's, you know, it's it's they, they load up on dumpster relievers before the season. And then at the trade deadline is kind of your last chance to refresh your dumpster relievers a bit. And, and we say dumpster relievers and, and often they are. But of course, you know, last year uh, you, you get uh, Luis Garcia and TJ McFarland uh, coming in who, uh, you know, end up uh, really kind of uh, saving your bullpen over the last half of the season. And, and that's not entirely uncommon either. So um, I definitely think there will be a bullpen trade um, and I hope it's it is uh, the one you propose. 
I went in the other direction and I went with the idea that they are going to go out there and acquire a starting pitcher. And so as I looked at the sort of starting pitchers, and I know some names that are out there, and I know there's names that people really want. Um, I think, you know, Frankie Montas and Luis Castillo are probably the two that I most often see people talk about. But as I look at the, the value and the cost you would need to acquire those guys, I don't see it being a move that the Cardinals would make. Um, and uh, both of those guys, incidentally, have one more arbitration year after this year. So uh, uh, Montas is making $5 million this year. Luis Castillo is making $7 million this year. And they'll both be under team control with arbitration set salaries last year. So that creates a pretty large amount of surplus value there. And I think they'd have to give up more than they're going to be willing to give up. So I went searching around the league and, and Ben... I'm going to be honest with you. I looked at qualified starting pitchers and sorted by uh, lowest walk percentage and then kind of scrolled through till I saw somebody on a, a lousy team with a contract that I thought maybe this would work. And uh, I landed on uh, Martin Perez in, in Texas. Now, uh, Perez has been around for a number of years. He's in his 30s. Um, he's been a pretty middling pitcher for, for most of his career. Um, but uh, this year, he's been really fantastic. Uh, he's on a one-year contract with Texas um, for $4 million just at the end of the season. Uh, as we sit here right now, he has a 2.22 ERA, a 2.59 FIP, and a 3.64 XFIP. So uh, he's put up really great numbers so far. His walk rate uh, is about 6%. He's in the top 25 among starting pitchers. And the, the, the two things that have really changed for him, that walk rate got started getting better last season and is even better this year. Um, but uh, the big thing this year is he's gone back to being a very extreme ground ball pitcher, which he was early in his career at his best, hasn't been for quite a while. He currently has about a 53% ground ball rate, which would put him behind only Dakota Hudson among Cardinals starters. So Ben, all of those things say to me potential Cardinals um, acquisition. Um, you know, in terms of what they'd have to um, give up, uh, I I would throw out um, I think uh, something like Edmondo Sosa and Malcolm Nunez could could get the deal done, and of course Nunez would be the more attractive chip in that deal. I think um, you know he's a 21 year old Double A first baseman. Uh, he's 11th on on our good friend Kyle Reese's dirty flirty list, um, but uh, you know pretty well pretty well blocked at first base by you know Paul Goldschmidt by potentially Jordan Walker by a number of a number of players. So Nunez is a guy who they have in their system who I see value in, but I just don't see uh, a, much of a path forward for him. So that's why I kind of throw him out there as the as the potential. Um, as the potential uh, trade ship. Um, and, and just for, to kind of uh, cover that prospect side of things a little bit, and again, using Kyle's list, and this is Kyle's preseason lists that I'm looking at here. So some of these guys have been uh, promoted and everything. But the top 10, he had uh, Nolan Gorman, Jordan Walker, Yvonne Herrera, Matthew Liberatore, Mason Wynn, Juan Yepes, Brendan Donovan, Alec Burleson, Josh Baez, Michael McGreevy, and then uh, Malcolm Nunez at number 11. And Ben, I don't, any of those names ahead of uh, Nunez, 
I feel like are names that the Cardinals don't trade. Um, I'd be surprised to see any of those guys go. Um, you know, maybe a McGreevy in a deal that they, you know, really good, especially if they feel like, you know, Graceffo has passed him enough. But w- with how much do you always need pitching, I- I'd be kind of surprised for a guy that they just drafted number one. Um, so, Ben, what do, you, what do you think of that trade? I, I think you're in the ballpark of what it would take. And and quite frankly, the, the team has established a clear type. And so uh, looking at solid starters with low walk rates uh, is a very good way to figure out who they are probably checking, making calls to check in on. Yeah. And, uh, and I agree with you. I don't think anyone ahead of him is someone that they are likely to trade. Um, and I also, it, it feels like they don't want to just plug Liberator in and go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think they're going to, and understandably so, I, I don't think he's really shown what he needs to show to have the team say you're in the rotation now. Um, and so, uh, I, I, think that it would be a very good move that would really bolster this team both down the stretch and in the postseason. And I, I, I would be pretty pleased if that was the type of move they would make. Yeah. And, and I will say, I, I doubt that Perez specifically would be the guy they, they went after or got. And there's a couple reasons for that. Um, you know, one, I mentioned how low his uh, peripheral numbers are, that ERA and everything. So, f- f- number one, you're probably buying, you, you'd be buying him at the peak of his value, which, uh, you know, is never a great move. And I think kind of because of that, uh, he might draw more value than than you would think or than he, than he ought to. So, I could see the, the Cardinals being kind of priced out of him there. And as I mentioned before, you know, the, the Rangers are not a good team, but... They're only, uh, I think they're five games out of that third wild card spot with only one team between them in that spot. I mean, that I don't think they should be considering themselves a playoff team, but at the same time, you know, they could. So, uh, so anyway, that's to be seen. But um, I think, uh, I guess what we have in common is we neither one of us expects a blockbuster move is there any scenario ben where you would expect a blockbuster move or what 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 would that look like if they really surprised us and did something like that um i think it would be um something where the club does not feel good about as good about a pitching prospect as observers do yep um and so it could be something where maybe a deal centered around liberator uh to get a legitimate top of the rotation starter under control after this year um but that would surprise me yeah um but when you look at those top prospects i you know liberator is the one that would not shock me if the cardinals traded him um, but all the other ones, uh, you know, that are kind of in and around his range would surprise me very much. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to agree. Although I think that the, the fact that they're, you know, trading for pitching and at this point, you know, I think Liberator is, is going to have, um, 
a shot at a few more starts in that number five starter position. So, you know, I think they, you know, I think they need him, frankly. I think they'll be using him until Mats is there. And then, you know, even if Mats were able to come back or not able to come back, I mean, I think he's, um, you know, kind of being positioned as almost next man up at this point. Uh, as you know, if they are in fact committing to Zach Thompson in the bullpen this year, which they may or may not be, but at the moment, I think it kind of looks like that. So, um, but yeah, I agree. And and the only times it's so rare that we've seen the Cardinals do a, a, a really big midseason trade. I got to go all the way back to the Matt Holiday um, trade for that kind of um, trade where they, where they were giving up, uh, you know, a top prospect like that. And and you know that's a case where. Brett Wallace was somebody who was still a top 10 list type prospect that they'd kind of internally decided, you know, this guy ain't it. And and in that case, made a pretty good decision. I mean, Wallace, you know, had a, a you know, few several year kind of major league career, but, you know, was n- never any great shakes. And obviously they got Matt Holiday out of it. Yeah, that was one where the, uh, the Lunau prospect promotion, uh, really uh gave a smokescreen to the team uh and they were able to you know make that move and i remember when they made that trade and i was thinking to myself well who's gonna play first base when albert pujols leaves um (laughs) and uh you know of course we all know how all that played out but i i think you're right and um i would be surprised to see the team do something like that because it's just not what they do but that being said if you have the season that you're getting from goldschmidt the season that you're getting from arenado then you have the farewell tour for pujols and yadi uh, and possibly also for wainwright uh, though as you've discussed we should not uh, for months now we should not assume that is going to be the case but when you have a core that is you know a a little bit old that is supplemented by the younger players, you know, this feels like a team that maybe you double down on in an attempt to get them over the finish line and into the world series. Um, But that being said, that would be antithetical to everything the Cardinals have done for a decade, Mm -hmm. a decade plus really. So it, it would surprise me. Yeah, no, I think we'd both be surprised, but, um, you know, everything that the Cardinals don't do is a thing that they don't do until they do it. And so um, I, I agree with you. I think we, we, you know, maybe we will see something. And, and uh, yeah, it would be really fun to see them push maybe a little more. They're never going to push all in, but, you know, to see them maybe be a little more aggressive this year than in years past for, for those reasons. Um, well, Ben, we've got a number of questions here today. Can we move over to those? Um, I'm, uh, I go ahead and I got the list open here. So our, our first question, and this, uh, relates to trades as well, comes from uh, Tyler Altrip and he asks, what type of reliever could the cards get back in a trade for DeYoung and which teams might be good trade partners? Um, Ben, any thoughts on that? Uh, that's a really tough question. Um, because, you know, as we all know, the young is a player who has played himself into a demotion to the minors. And I just don't know what other teams would see in his data that would make him an enticing player. 
And so if the Cardinals are going to trade DeYoung, I think they're probably going to have to eat his salary. Uh, and the type of reliever they would get back would probably depend on, you know, how much of that salary they would be willing to eat. And, you know, so I'm going to assume that they're not going to eat that much because it's going to be as much to clear up the roster space yeah. and get them up off a of payroll as anything. And so I think you're, you're probably going to see, you know, a, a middle reliever who is probably right-handed um, or a prospect that profiles as a, as a righty middle reliever um, if, if they were to trade him. Yeah. And, and I, um, and honestly, Ben, I think that uh, if DeYoung got traded, I would expect it was like a DeYoung plus kind of trade. And the, the plus would be some Cardinals minor leaguer. And really that's the acquisition for the other team. And you know what I mean? It's almost saving face yeah. for the major league veteran, to, you know, that they could still be traded for somebody. Um, I, I one um, website that I met, I, I've used in the past. I think I've mentioned on this before. It's a uh, baseballtradevalues.com, and um, they have a kind of trade simulator tool there. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's it's fun to play around with. I think the inputs are. Um, you know, good enough um, that you can kind of play around with it. But, you know, when you do that, one of the things that I like that it kind of helps reset your brain on is the fact that when you, anytime you trade, you're really talking about surplus value. And so for, uh, you know, guys who are, you, you know, young guys, uh, their surplus value is tremendous because they have those years of team control, um, et cetera. And veteran players uh, don't have a lot of surplus value. Um, you know, Nolan Arenado does not have much surplus value. Um, and, you know, he's one of the best players in baseball. So I think that's a little uh, contradictory to people to think about sometimes. But, um, you know, and I think people like to pretend like the Cardinals just absolutely fleeced the Rockies in that trade because they gave up so little. And granted, I think they, they, you know, the Cardinals certainly came out ahead in that trade. But, you know, the Cardinals are paying, uh, you know, $30 million a year to Nolan Arenado. They're, they're, they're paying dollars for all of that production. So that's always something to keep in mind. And I think a player like DeYoung, that's what makes it hard for them to have, you know, any real trade value at all. Um, so uh, next question, Ben, um, J.D. Alfonso asks, what do you think of Marmol's strategy of only using Gallegos and Helsley when the cards are tied or winning? Much different than Schilt. Uh, well, with the way that the bullpen as a group is pitching and has pitched, I think it's almost out of necessity um, because he needs to stretch them uh, for as many outs as he can get when the game is close and potentially winnable uh, either or to preserve the victory. Um, and so he's, he's stated that he uses them when they're tied or ahead. And, you know, I think overall, sometimes, you know, if it's the, the top of the ninth and you're down one, you know, to the Brewers or uh, a wild card contender like the Giants or something. And I'm just throwing the Giants out there because uh, they're kind of close to the Cardinals in the wild card standings right now. Mm -hmm. um, but a team like that, you know, maybe you, you would like to see him use the closer to give the team a shot to, you know, tie it or win it in the ninth. But 
you know, by that same token, they have the most value with the way the whole relief core is pitching uh, when you're using them in that limited role, that more limited role, because they can't really, they have been unable to count on uh, other relievers to get outs uh, in situations where the team is ahead uh, or tied. And those players they've thrown out there when they're behind and the lead seems to grow an awful lot when they do that. And so I can't say that I blame Marmol at all, but I don't think this is necessarily reflective of his overall approach to using the team's uh-huh. best relievers. I think yeah. it's been more dictated by the poor performance of the other relievers. Yeah, I will say I hope that he's not actually rigidly tied to the idea of only using them in cases where they're tied or winning because that sends you down, frankly, that sends you down the Mike Matheny road, you know. And, I mean, Mike Matheny would only bring Trevor Rosenthal or whoever his closer was in, you know, in a save situation. And so that would lead to, uh, you know, sometimes five games where they never had a save situation and some of which were close games and yet you're not using your best reliever in them. So, um, but I mean, Ali Marmol is so much smarter than Mike Matheny. I don't expect that's the case. I mean, to me, you use those guys as much as you can while giving them the the rest and the load management that you believe that they need. So, you know, Helsley in particular, I, I still think still hasn't pitched on back-to-back days this year. So that's just a thing. Like, he's just not going to do that. That's fine. If that's what they, they believe that he needs to stay healthy, that's fine. Um, Gygos, uh pitches a little more frequently, although, again, with kind of tending to go to them for more multiple multi-inning appearances, you know, that's changed a little bit. Bottom line, um, hopefully you're getting as many innings as you responsibly can out of those guys and um you know you're just you're doing your best to deploy them in games where you know it's it's gonna matter i certainly don't think you need to bring him in in a game where you're down six runs in the eighth inning or something like that so um bronson hayes asks dan and brad had an interesting diatribe during the boston series where they stated with certainty that the Cardinals draft well and looked at the 2016 draft with Edmund, Kisner, Carlson, and Hudson as proof. Do you buy their assessment that the front office is truly astute in that area? Um, I think that they do an excellent job uh, with the draft. And, you know, let's just compare them to the Chicago Cubs, you know, Theo Epstein was declared the greatest leader in the world after they won the 2016 World Series. Ben, Ben, I don't mean to interrupt, but if I was going to compare them to the Cubs, I would have to be able to literally name any impact player the Cubs have drafted in the last five or six years, and I don't believe I can do that. And and that's exactly my point, is, you know, the Cubs tanked. They got all these top draft picks. And that formed the foundation or the core of their World Series team. Then they chose for whatever reason not to retain any of those players and let them all walk. And the reason they did that is they really didn't have much come up the talent pipeline uh, to help supplement that core when they got more expensive. Yeah. And you contrast that with the Cardinals. Uh, I think the last time... Uh, they drafted in the top 10. I cannot, I think it was Ken Rosenthal brought this up, I think, uh, on the athletic podcast. And I believe the last time that they drafted in the top 10 
was in 1998. Yeah, it was J.D. Drew, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was J.D. Drew. Um, And so uh, when you look at the talent the Cardinals have been able to draft and develop and bring to the majors, especially during the John Mosellock era, um, you know, they have really filled this team in. And, and this is all under Bill DeWitt's vision, all under DeWallet Ball, because he doesn't want to play, or excuse me, he does not want to pay the salaries of veterans. So right. he has issued this edict and he has invested in an organization that can do this. Yeah. And I think they are skilled. And if you go back, you know, we, we are approaching the 10 year anniversary of the 2013 team, but that was the, you know, the Cardinals had one of the best farm systems in baseball uh, around that time. And Mosellock was uh, named the, um, you know, or one of the, uh, the, or no, he was, he was named the front office, like the general manager of the year. Uh, in Major League Baseball. And the reason that he got that uh, was because of his ability to uh, build that team. And he just keeps doing it. And they did have a little bit of a lull in 2020 hurt him. But it's really hard to argue if you just look at time and again, uh, not just the value they get out of their late first round picks, they get value, you know, out of fourth, fifth, sixth, 10th round picks and, and higher. Um, And it's a really uh, it's a testament to their ability to identify talent, draft it and develop it. I think they do do an excellent job. Yeah, absolutely. And and the point you made about DeWalla Ball, I think that's the thing here. Uh, We know that they don't they're not a big spender on free agents. You know, they're never buying those guys at the top of the free agent market. We also complain about them not making these big, impactful trades. And yet they've been (laughs) excellent almost without exception for 20 years. So frankly, they have to be good at the draft, <laughs> you know, um, because that's where they're, they're bringing in this talent. And, um, and I, there, there've been several great articles about it and I can't think of any specifically offhand to point people to, but um, you know, one of the ways that they're really, um, they get so much value, as you said, they don't have top five picks typically. So they, they don't necessarily draft a lot of, you know, Chris Bryant type players. But you look at the Cardinals and look at the role players on uh, in the lineup, um, you know, on the offensive side and on the pitching side, and they fill those positions out with guys that they've drafted and that come through their system. And that is tremendously valuable. So many other teams have holes and then they have to go out and spend money on middling players. And that really kind of kind of kills them. Um, you know, uh, I, Memphis Mafia is always a great example of that to me. You know, those guys, there weren't really any uh, superstar players in that group, but they they filled in as, you know, role players and, uh, you know, obviously, you know, won a World Series and had a run of several great seasons there. So um, speaking of the Memphis Mafia, um, Sashin Parik asks us to rank Freese, Pujols, Wayno and Yachty in order of biggest fan favorite to least fan favorite. Um, and acknowledges that this may be an impossible request, but Ben, this is something that's just kind of fun to do. So uh, David Fries, Albert Pujols, Adam Wainwright, and Yachty. As I'm, and I'm, I'm just, I'm doing this off the top of my head here, but I'm gonna say 
I'm going to say Wayno number one because I just think Adam Wainwright is so beloved. And um, I also think he's going to play another season or two. And I think that's only going to add to that. So I'm going to say Wayno number one in terms of just uh, I think the other guys on this list, you could find fans that have a beef with them. But I don't think there's anybody that doesn't like Adam Wainwright, any Cardinals fan. Um, if they are, I haven't met him. So I'd say Wayno number one. Um, I would say uh, I would say Yachty number two. I mean, Yachty is an absolute legend, um, uh, you know, and, and will be one of two Hall of Famers on this list. Um, you know, that said, the number of years that he's played, the continuing to get a lot of at-bats, the, you know, not always running out ground balls to save his knees, things like that, all totally reasonable, defensible things. But I feel like every now and then there's some grousing about Yachty. So that's just enough that I'm going to bump Yachty down to number two. Um, I'm going to say Pools number three, clearly the best player on this list, you know, probably top five player in baseball history. Amazing, will be remembered so fondly. I think we'll always think warmly of him from now on, especially with getting this retirement tour at the end. But yes, there is that asterisk that there was a pretty significant, you know, 10 years of his career there that he was um, not in a Cardinals uniform. And I'm gonna put I'm gonna put Freeze at the bottom because for me Free it's more of a moment than a player. It's it's that one moment that I think we all love and remember. But um, you know for his his career, uh, you know not not as much. So that's my ranking. Uh, I I think you make some good points with your ranking, but I think that uh, he has been welcomed back into the fold with respect to freeze. And I think he's going to kind of become the personification of that moment Absolutely. Uh, when he returns to Bush stadium. And I know that Wayno closed out a world series, but he doesn't have that magical uh, moment that just defined fandom for a whole generation of Cardinals fans in the way that freeze does. And that's still why I put him ahead. Uh, I was saying he doesn't have that magical moment, but he but he does have the aw shucks charm. Ben, let's not discount the aw shucks charm. Yes, he 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 very much does, and he uh, from what I gather from his Twitter feed, he has started hiding autographed balls in Bush Stadium during his old man walks now. So, yes, which is such uh, a he's going to win idea. over a few more fans for life. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's it's perfect. Uh, I saw it and I was like, that's such a great idea. And uh, I'm really happy he's doing it. And I think he's going to make a lot of fans happy when they find the baseball that Adam Wainwright autographed at uh, Bush Stadium after he pitched. So uh, I he and I love Adam Wainwright. And so it really is uh, like picking your favorite child in a way, uh, including the one who ran away from home uh, at age 17, uh, but then returned back to the fold. Um. Moving along, we have a question from uh, at Plizank who asks, how concerned should we be about the injuries to Bader and Flaherty? Plantar fasciitis for a guy who, whose best tool is his legs and persistent shoulder issues for Flaherty sounds very worrisome. And of course, we've already discussed Flaherty. Uh, that is very worrisome. But Ben, how do you feel about the injury to Bader? Um, uh, I'm definitely more worried about Flaherty because, uh, pitcher shoulder injury, you know, that's, that's potentially an often, uh, you know, career ending or, you know, debilitating for a career. But, um, yeah, in terms of Bader, 
I, I guess I'm I'm concerned, but um, I, I feel like this is probably something that through some you know rest and rehab, I, I think he's still able to contribute this season. And um, obviously, he'll be out for a little while now to kind of try and get it under control. Uh, Pujols battled plantar fasciitis for for years. Uh, I actually had plantar fasciitis for for several years a while back. It's it is painful. It's not fun, but. Um, it's it's definitely something you can manage. It's not, uh, and I mean, some people do at some point in time have surgery for it, but it's not like you 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 know tore uh, tendons in your elbow or knee and you have to have surgery. It's something that can be managed. So I feel like it'll be managed. It'll probably um, you know be a, a lingering issue this year, but I think we'll still probably get. Uh, you know, 75, 80% of what we would have expected from uh, Bader going forward. What's, what's your expectation? Uh, it's, it's somewhat concerning because it can be a chronic condition. And he yeah. is a guy who I, I think gets a lot of value from speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if he is knocked down, you know, even a little bit in terms of his speed, how does that impact uh, his ability as a fielder and his ability on the bases. Right. Now it doesn't seem to have really hurt him that much on the bases this year. He's done a great job stealing bases. And um, I'm not terribly concerned because I think it highlights their need and their ability as a team with the depth that they have on the roster to manage the workloads mm-hmm. of their players and you know get Bader the days off that he needs. Uh, to remain effective uh, once he comes back from the injured list. So um, I'm a little bit concerned, but I think that the team is positioned to put him in uh, the situation he needs to be in to play and stay uh, as close to pain-free as possible while doing so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Um all right, uh, so we got two two last questions, and and we touched on these to some extent. So we'll maybe move through these somewhat quickly. Um, Daniel uh, at Donkey Cause Two asks, what which pitchers that might be available at the deadline would you go after if you were Mo? Mo and is it realistic the Cardinals might pursue them? And Steve Gloriad asks similarly. He says Tommy Edmond. Just kidding. And by the way, we appreciate that, Steve. Um, what external pitching options should the Cardinals be pursuing? It would be a shame to waste our great position players due to a lack of pitching depth. He adds, I'm asking should as opposed to what DeWallet will actually do. Um, so, Ben, we, we touched on some names, but just any other kind of thoughts on who they who they might go after as well as who they should go after? Um, I, I think you're going to see more of a – a situation where if they do go after a starter, you're going to look at someone probably who's more of a like number four type starter yeah. who can pitch uh, like a middle of the rotation starter in front of the Cardinals defense. Um, but if Matt's has problems uh, and Flaherty, you know, proceeds at the pace that we think he will, you know, I think that, uh, setting money aside and everything we know about the way that this team approaches those types of acquisitions. You know, I think the Cardinals have to give serious consideration to making a major move if they have neither Mats nor Flaherty or can't count on either one, because uh, that's just leaving them very vulnerable, you know, between uh, 
the rookies and their workload increase, adjusting to the majors, you know, whether it's Palante or Liberator or Thompson, you know, you're putting a, a high demand on them for performance. And I think that, that they would be wise to acquire a high-end starter to help uh, lessen the burden on those rookies and also to invest in the veterans that are on the team and make uh, their contributions uh, potentially or more likely toward a playoff team. So I, I think if Matt's and Flaherty are out, the team needs to give serious consideration to going after more of a top of the line starter. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I think the, the challenge though is for me is the, like who, who do they give up or who should they give up in that, you know, in that quest. And I may be more in line this season with where I think the team is in terms of, you know, guys they shouldn't give up. Um, you know, they certainly should not trade Jordan Walker. They should not trade Mason Wynn. Um, you know, of those guys that are currently, uh, uh, you know, up in the lead, uh, up with the team already, uh, Nolan Gorman, they absolutely should hang on to. Avon Herrera, uh, you know, who they believe is going to be the heir apparent to Yachty, you know, they've got to hang on to him. You mentioned Liberator. I agree. I think Liberator is, is somebody that they, they could probably stand to part with. Um, someone we didn't mention in this show, but we have talked about before as well, is, is Juan Yepes. And, um, you know, Yepes is, uh, is, is hitting really well. And so um, I think it would be uh, uh, difficult for them to move him right now just because they need his offense. You know, he's contributing a lot on offense, but at the same time, if they really needed to go after an impact guy and needed to come up with some value, I, I still see some long-term issues with Yepes just not really having a, a position and not necessarily having a great fit um, going forward. Um, Alec Burleson is another guy who's uh, down in AAA, knocking on the door, looks extremely promising. But, um, you know, they have some other guys in those kind of positions right now. You know, um, Burleson's got kind of a weird body. There's other things you could maybe say there. You know, again, if, if, if you're going to go after an impact guy, you're going to have to give up. I, I, I would love to see him hang on to Alec Burleson because I think he could be a really interesting player. But, you know, maybe some of those are some of the guys you have to give up. Um, you know, maybe look up giving up like a Josh Baez who, you know, certainly looks like that could be a stud player, but are, you know, or, or Markevian Hence, you know, guys who are uh, look to have potentially huge potential, but are way, way down in the complex leagues. Um, you know, those might be some guys you have to kind of part with uh, to make something like that, make something like that happen, I guess. You know, and, and the other part of it is there, there are going to be high asking prices, but you know, as more and more teams have come to value prospects more highly because they don't have to pay them the way that they have to pay veterans who mm. have achieved free agency uh, in their careers, it seems like the trade asking price uh, for top major league talent has gone down. Because um, I know I have been underwhelmed with quite a few packages in recent years and well, so it, it's definitely it's um, definitely gone you know, down for eating it's definitely gone down for the rentals you know you think about what like uh, you know the Mookie Betts trade you know for example like 
But um, it, it, it is relatively low for those guys that you're getting on an expiring contract. But um, I, I know myself, I just haven't necessarily identified many of those guys this year that would be out, you know, starting pitchers who they could, you know, they could go after like that. As I mentioned, you know, Montas and, and Luis Castillo, those guys have a whole other year ahead of them as arbitration, uh, you know, salaries. So those guys are going to cost quite a bit more. Yeah. They will. Um, but I'm still, I'm interested to see, you know, Montas in particular, what is the package that he fetches? And, you know, you never know what an analogous package in the eyes of the team that traded the player uh, would, would view Cardinals players or Cardinals prospects as, as analogous. So, but when you look at that, you can kind of, piece together similar packages and you know playing that game time and again it just feels like overall the asking price has gone down now that being said you know i i also look at the the potential players on the trade market this year and it feels like there really aren't a lot of those types of big name rentals where you could acquire them and potentially get elite performance for a couple of months um and so I, that will also be a factor um, in, in the asking prices as well is what are your other options? Yep. And so, you know, hopefully Matt's is fine. He's able to come back and the team's able to fill in the rotation with, a, with more of a middle or back end starter. But if Matt's is not able to come back, you know, I think the Cardinals have to be fishing in those waters. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you, everyone, as always, for sending in questions. Always fun to talk about things that listeners want to talk about. Uh, you can send us questions anytime at Cardinals Off Day on Twitter. Um, you can email us at uh, cardinalsoffday at substack.com. We, we usually put a call out on Twitter uh, close to when we record, but feel free to send questions anytime. We've, uh, we'll hang on to them and read them on the show. So, Ben, um, as we close out here uh, and we talk about what we'll be watching for, I'm actually going to continue right from where you left off. Uh, I'm going to be watching Steven Matz. And uh, I, I kept an eye on his uh, uh, first rehab start. And I am really going to pay close attention to his subsequent rehab starts as well as any reports that come from the team um, you know, in between about how he's recovering, etc. Because... As we've really been talking about through this whole episode, I think a lot of what they do for the rest of the season is going to hinge on can Steven Matz return and be a reliable piece of this rotation. I I think uh, I will be watching that as well uh, with bated breath as I worry about uh, what that means for the team's uh, prospects this year. Uh, the other thing that I am going to be watching is Dylan Carlson. Uh, listeners will recall I took him first in our wins above replacement uh, draft uh, that we use as our organizing principle for discussion for our season preview. Um, and Carlson has basically been on a tear for, you know, about a week or two before he went on the injured list. And since he got back off of the injured list and his numbers have really gone up and I'm just interested to see, you know, how much longer he can keep this going uh, because, having him hitting well and also taking the professional at bats and 
working walks and plate appearances that he, as he is able to do, it just makes this lineup a lot deeper and a lot more difficult for opposing pitchers to pitch to. And I think it, it is a very good thing for the club to have him playing well. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested to see if he can keep doing it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I mentioned the uh, the baseball trade values website. <laughs> um, as I was playing around on that, uh, do you know who they have ranked as the most valuable trade ship the Cardinals have? I, I think I have an idea. Uh, uh, would it possibly be... Dylan Carlson. You are 100% correct, which, you know, I saw number two is is Jordan Walker. Number three is Nolan Gorman. And I think off the top of my head, I would have said Walker and Gorman because we tend to think of like the guys that aren't quite there yet as being prospects. But, you know, as I saw that, I was like, no, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, as we talked about before, Dylan Carlson is crazy young. Dylan Carlson is only a little bit older than Nolan Gorman, you know, and has already been in the league for several years, produced quite a bit. Um, huge value there so i hope we see a, a big rebound there but because you took him first in our preseason draft i hope we don't see you know enough rebound there that you you beat me out when we tally that up at the end of the season <laughs> that's perfectly fair thank you I'm, I'm, I'm a very selfish person so uh ben do you have a, an off day recommendation for folks uh i do uh fan graphs uh is a wonderful website. I use it all the time. I visit it daily. Uh, David Lorilla, uh, who's a writer there, I think does wonderful uh, pieces uh, for fan graphs. Uh, in particular, his Q&As with players are wonderful. Uh, and he published one uh, recently with Brendan Donovan. And it's a really good interview where Donovan talks about his hitting approach and what he's trying to do uh, when he uh, is in the box and what his strengths are as a hitter. And it's really worth a read and I encourage people to check it out. Yeah, absolutely. I, I read that one as well and I thought that was quite good as well. Um, I, uh, I also have an article to recommend. Um, this was published on Medium um, by uh, Ethan Moore. And uh, the title of it is Baseball's Next Defining Innovation is Hiding in Plain Sight. Um, and then the kind of subhead here is why tracking the path of every swing is a must for MLB teams. Did you did you happen to read this one, Ben? Uh, no, it's I have it bookmarked to read it, but I have not gotten to it yet. It sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. And Ethan, and I, I should know more about, I should look more up about him. He's some kind of a hitting um expert someone's gonna write in now and, and tell me what an idiot i am for not knowing exactly who he is but um the the, the purpose of the article uh, really is just the idea that um you know the hawkeye and the stat cast tracking that uh, major league has currently uh you know of course kind of started with the baseball and and tracking the ball out of the pitcher's hand and uh, you know the the speed the rotation the exit velocity all that kind of stuff um, similarly, uh, fielders, uh, you know, are tracked very well now and, and able to put that into data. And he basically makes the argument why um, tracking the path of the swing is so important. And, and he touches on a number of areas. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting is he just talked about basically being able for the first time to uh, quantify uh, how well uh uh, in a way, quantify a, a batter's eye, but also just, you know, how well they're able to put the path of their bat 
through where the ball is is coming and in those instances where they don't do that successfully um, you know be able to start identifying are they early are they late are they high are they low uh, you know and he he kind of talks about a future if you really had this bat tracking where you can even imagine a on fan graphs you know kind of you know sortable leaderboards and things to see you know who's who's closest on their timing and who's you know it's etc and and look at that by pitch type and everything and then of course i think when you have that data you can imagine that being utilized by hitting coaches and things to improve some of those things and i think you know one of the reasons that we've seen uh the offensive environment down so much lately and and pitchers getting ahead is that pitchers have this you know really more advanced um data and you know they could you know look very closely at um how you know the rotate the axis of rotation on their pitches and then really kind of you know micro uh, adjust that until they're they're optimizing all of those things so you know potentially something like this if you had this kind of data maybe some of that could even translate to uh you know training hitters and and you know give them some of those advantages as well so anyway uh it was a really interesting article i would encourage folks to check it out um ben anything else before we uh, wrap it up no i think we've covered everything we set out to cover today and thank you everyone for listening we hope you enjoyed the episode yeah absolutely and uh, we will be back with you on the next cardinals off day thanks as always to devon for the theme music for dan for helping us out on social media and uh, we will see you all next time